people have never been educated about transgender individuals. They, they think that all transgender individuals are the same, and they're not. Um, and they're not. And, and we should celebrate the, the human variation of our species is amazing in terms of how many differences there are. I think it's really easy to take shots at the NCAA. I think it's a lot harder for these athletes and coaches to be addressing the sex discrimination that's going on in their own institution. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, social justice, and gender. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey, coming to you from the Motor City Women's Studios in Detroit, Michigan. And we're talking sports today, Dana. Yes, we are. And we're coming right off of what I feel has been, a, in one way, fantastic, but also very discouraging NCAA March Madness. And I'm talking about the women's tournament. For me, just incredible to see the talent. I mean, how far it's come and how it's exploding, but also really discouraging in terms of the, the pathetic discrepancies that we saw by the NCAA in terms of, you know, the facilities and even the food that they were offering to the athletes. Yeah, I think that was one of the stories that kind of kicked everything off, and then there was just a watershed from there. Very disappointing to see that those kind of discrepancies were in play. But we did have some good news. Speaking from Michigan, at least, the University of Michigan made their first appearance to the Sweet 16 for the first time in history. So although I'm a Spartan, I can root on my fellow University of Michigan Wolverines. But we also like some of the positive stories behind the stories. You know, the Arizona coach, Coach Barnes, her representing women and moms and essentially serving and taking care of her baby even at halftime. So there were a little bits of glimmer of hope there, you know. Absolutely. And of course, we're talking to women when we talk about Michigan making the Sweet 16. But anyway, there's so much going on in terms of women's sports. And, you know, as a pre-Title IX baby boomer, I'm what they used to call a tomboy who loved physical activity, but uh, playing with the boys in the neighborhood, but really never had the opportunity to play organized sports on uh, real teams with real coaches. Did you play, Dana? I did not. I did a lot of sitting in the stands. I have two athletes, so I have been a sports mom for the past 20 years. So I have a boy and a girl, and I absolutely love being involved and cheering on sports. I'm right there with you. Well, we are thrilled to have with us today two fantastic world-class athletes and also really internationally respected champions, not only in their own sports, but for gender equity in all sports. We have a lot of ground to cover, including uh, the growing legal and political controversy over transgender females competing in girls and women's sports. Yeah, and we know that this is not a new issue, but it's definitely a hot topic right now. And thankfully, our guests today bring deep expertise in the subject. Their sports accomplishments and leadership credentials are so extensive, and we're just going to mention a few of those highlights. Right. So Donna Lopiano, 
Let me introduce her first. She was named by the prestigious Sporting News as one of the most influential people in the world of sports. As an athlete, she was a six-time national champion softball player, a nine-time All-American at four different positions, and inducted into 13 Halls of Fame, including the National Sports Hall of Fame. She also has a long track record of working to ensure opportunity and equity in sports, including serving as the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation at one time, and currently as the president and founder of Sports Management Resources. Welcome, Donna. Hey, Em. You should be my business manager. <laughs> was a great intro. And our second guest today is Nancy Hogshead Makar. She's an American swimmer who has won three gold medals and won silver at the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. She is also an inductee into 12 halls of fame, including the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame and the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Sports Illustrated ranked her as Florida's 13th greatest athlete of the 20th century. A civil rights lawyer and a professor of law, Nancy is also the CEO and founder of Champion Women, a nonprofit focused on advocating for equality and accountability in sports. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you very much for having me here. I appreciate it. Well, let's start with the good stuff. I'm sure both of you were watching the NCAA tournament. What were your thoughts as you watched all that unfold? I was absolutely impressed by the uh, the new voice of the college athlete. You know, college athletes um, would not be caught dead uh, criticizing either the NCAA or their, their institutions. Uh, they lived in fear of don't get on the wrong side of the coach or I'm going to lose my, my scholarship or my starting position. And I think with COVID, with um, the George Floyd follow-up, Black Lives Matter, we've entered a, a new era where athletes are standing up to speak out. And, and the use of video as a, a truth teller in an era when fake news abounds. I was very impressed with um, just the level of play and what their Nielsen ratings were. And uh, for the last game, they had 4.1 million viewers uh, for the, 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 the Stanford win game. Um, I was very impressed with how the coaches, who also have a hard time speaking out on gender equity, all of them, including, you know, uh, Don Staley at South Carolina to obviously Stanford to Arizona. Everybody really found their voice and they were speaking out on gender equity. Um, I think it's really easy to take shots at the NCAA. I think it's a lot harder for these uh, athletes and coaches to be to be addressing the sex discrimination that's going on in their own institution. And um, that's one of the projects that Champion Women has right now is letting everybody know um, exactly how much sex discrimination is going on and, uh, and hopefully provide remedies for it. But just to give you an idea, at the high school level, girls are being denied about a million sports opportunities. At the college level, they're being denied um, 83,000 opportunities to play, just to put that in perspective, that's like 2,700 teams, um, depending on the size of the team. 
2,700 teams. And since we know that those athletes will go on to uh, earn more money, to be healthier, what are we as a country missing out? Uh, girls and women are also being denied a billion dollars in college scholarships. Uh, a real point of pride for me was earning a college scholarship uh, because of Title IX. And to think that most women who don't get a college scholarship think that they didn't get it because they weren't good enough. Mm. And that's not true. They are the victims of intentional sex discrimination. And it's it's a hundred opportunities here and it's three hundred opportunities here. And it's, you know, it's right, but when you add it all up, all those two thousand schools, the disparity between men and women is really profound. So from my perspective, when Sedona Prince did her video that really showed the difference between what the men had and the women had, which was just absolutely brilliantly done. In the weight room. Uh, in the weight room, exactly. Yeah. It, it allowed our organization, Champion Women, to really uh, push forward this issue of what's really happening 50 years after the passage of Title IX. Most people kind of think, oh, that's done, but it is not. Right, right. Not done. Donna, I know that's your work as well in terms of your consulting firm. I mean, what are your perspectives on this, this big issue? Yeah, here, here. You know, half, half of, you know, my my consulting is very positive. You know, I, I help schools that want to achieve gender equity, uh, look at their programs and figure out how to do it. The other half is testifying in court as a, an expert witness. And um really pinning them to the wall in terms of the discrimination that Nancy so aptly described. Um, and it's, it really is disheartening after 50 years uh, to be working on this issue and to realize we're still looking at over 80% of all athletic directors are men. Um, they are more interested in continuing, especially at Division One, continuing to earn their uh, $6 and $7 million uh, salaries. They're acting more like a trade association than educators. And they really don't care about the women's sports issue. They're trying to hide their discrimination. So that's the depressing part of it. And then there's a layer of the transgender females in sports. We were both interested in what your work is and your thoughts are on the transgender bias as well. We have men's and women's sports. And we do that not because of cultural bias. We don't do that because of privacy reasons, like the way that we have privacy for bathrooms or something like this. We have sex segregation because of the biological differences between men and women. So being male gives somebody between an eight and 20% boost in their sports performance. It is literally like being on steroids. When it comes to speed and strength and power, men have an advantage. We as a, as a society figured out that when testosterone doesn't matter, that we don't sex segregate, say race car driving or sailing or equestrian. How are we going to make sure that sport is not the vehicle for people to be able to be transphobic and for them to be able to express their hatred and dump on trans people, but still uh, preserving the girls and women's category for girls and women and making sure they have a place to really shine, to be able to make money, to be able to get a record and be in all those halls of fame. Uh, we wanted a place for that to be able to happen. At the same time, we don't, we, we want uh, 
sport to kind of figure it out of how do we have inclusive policies that still recognize the, um, the sex-linked advantage that comes from male puberty. The tipping point for me was understanding that all uh, transgender athletes are not alike. Um, there are four or five different categories of trans girls and women. You have um, someone who is born a female and who decides at a very early age in conjunction with her family and with her doctors that her gender identity is the opposite of her birth sex. And at an earlier early age, she goes on puberty blockers. She then goes into gender-affirming hormones. She never, ever goes through male puberty. She doesn't have the testosterone advantages of, of males. She should participate equally in women's sports. Um, and then you have um, another trans girl who goes through puberty, decides that, that she is much more comfortable as a female, and she goes on gender-affirming hormones. And as long as she mitigates her uh, post-pubescent uh, testosterone advantage, she should uh, compete equally with girls and women under the umbrella of women's sports. And then you have, and, and this should be a right of every um, girl and, and woman to say, um, I don't want to change my body. I don't want to take hormones. I do not want to surgically change my body. Uh, my identity can be female. My body can be male. In that case, we should still include her in girls and women's sports, but not in head-to-head -head competition against um, a biological female. The only group that really needs an accommodation that uh, will not compete head-to-head -head with the biological female is that person that um, is insufficiently mitigating her uh, advantage. Well, does that mean testing all the athletes at no. some point? I mean, in terms of competitive situations? No, no and that's, that's the, the beauty of it, I think, that we have already in place in athletics a way of assuring eligibility. There's a thing called the pre-participation physical. Before you can mm. practice, before you can compete, your medical doctor has to say, hey, you are healthy enough to do this. And mm -hmm. by adding by adding on that pre-participation physical questions about transgender girls and whether or not they're mitigating their advantage, uh, the medical doctor um, in consultation with the athlete and her family that that's the eligibility declaration, no testing at all. And it's up to us as athletic administrators to really enforce the fact that, no, we're not going to allow fans to bully what, who they think might be a transgender uh, girl. Um, we're going to make sure we enforce those eligibility rules. We're speaking a lot of how best to protect the other athletes so that they have their balanced competitive edge. But we should also take care, it sounds like, for these women to, to be able to experience the fullness of competing. You know, are, how are you also considering, you know, how they are showing up, you know, as, as, a, as a transgender woman in sports? It varies by event and sport. Let's say we have a trans girl woman who can't compete head to head um, with a biological female in the high jump. You, you, Dana, Anne, you'll look at that event and you're not going to tell that that event is any different and you can't even tell the difference between the athletes. There's one high jump bar, it goes up as people you know, get over that level. 
The only difference you'll see is, is at the end, you'll have two trophies. You'll have one for an open division and you'll have one for a B division. We do this all the time. We have five mm. A, we have five A high school sports. We have four A high school sports. We have uh, sports in which we have different weight uh, requirements in wrestling, um, in weightlifting. So we we do this fair competition segmentation all the time. And if we have to start teaching people that this is fair segmentation, that this is required for a meaningful sport experience for both trans girls and biological girls. More than 20 states, including right here in Michigan, have now introduced laws that restrict transgender females from playing sports or force transgender girls to compete on boys' teams. Uh, and that, that seems to be building momentum right now. It's using sport as the way to address this cultural change of people uh, having being gender fluid or being transgender. And right, and so that's exactly what we don't want. So I hope that people from all these different states will go onto our website. We have model statutes, both state statutes, national statutes, way to ways to um, make changes to the to Title IX, the regulations. There's just no reason to uh, exclude a transgender athlete who has never been through male puberty, and uh, if they don't have a sex-linked advantage. We want to make sure that sport is a welcoming place and that people can get what there is to get out of it. You have all kinds of state legislation being introduced right now. Uh, I believe you're both working at the national level to try to bring some focus and some consistency to this. Is that correct? The fix, the fix is pretty simple, and it's passing Title IX again, but doing it in the context of recognizing gender identity. So it's developing, as Nancy said, this carve-out, this exception, and making sure there's inclusion of all girls, trans girls and women. They must be included in women's sports. But to impose by law exactly the system I just described to you, right? That in these conditions, no head-to-head -head, uh, uh, competition in these conditions, fine, no conditions at all. Head-to-head -head competition is welcome. Um, but to, to make this clear what girls and women's sport is going to look like. Yeah, we're talking about competitive sports, so not recreational sports, not intramural sports, but competitive sports where winning matters, where getting on that podium to be able to have a record, et cetera, if we want girls and women to be able to have those opportunities, that's why we have to just come up with some boundaries, no different from a weight class boundary, no different from an age category. And please know that this is, this is definitely not about winning. You talk to any boy and you talk to any girl who's played sports, and it's not about winning a, a state championship or winning you know, a title. There's very few of us who would ever get in Nancy's category, right, of gold, gold medalist. What it's about is that one regular season game where I make the shot nobody thought I could make. I didn't even think I could make it. And all of a sudden, your perception of self, your confidence, your uh, feeling of being competent, of owning the, the, the earth, is, is something that you've never experienced before. That's the yeah. gift that we want to give every girl. Right. To experience physical flow is 
that's the Mac Daddy. That's the thing that, you know, why why do people put up with so much abuse in sport or why do, <clears throat> you know, all the, the problems with sport, what keeps people coming back is that. It is the experience of flow and how physical empowerment will then translate into somebody for the rest of their lives. I mean, one of the first things that every repressive government does is they keep women out of sports because they don't mm. want them to have that that experience that then translates into business and politics and education, et cetera. I love mm-hmm. that conversation and that philosophy that is incredibly true about how leadership is born in sports for women. And I absolutely believe that it transcends until later in life. It's very complex because people have never been educated about transgender individuals. They, they think that all transgender individuals are the same. And they're not. Um, and they're not. And and we should celebrate the the human variation of our species is amazing in terms of how many differences there are. And maybe that's the important, the most important lesson that we can help teach that we we respect everybody, um, no matter what your gender identity, no matter what your sexual orientation. And I I remind people we've done this before. In the 1970s, before you guys were born, and I was alive, right? And Nancy was around too. We went through this with sexual orientation in the male locker room. If there was a gay guy, he would never, ever come out in a male locker room for fear he'd be killed. And that's the same viciousness and bullying, the same toxicity that's going on right now in the transgender community. And we've got to confront it. We've got to put all this information on the table and we've got to demand that our kids and our parents accept this and celebrate those differences. And what is your response to uh, legislators in these 20 states, including here in Michigan, who are introducing this? They They are hooking it to the idea that we have come so far and fought so long in terms of Title IX opportunities for women that this would wipe it all out. If you're really concerned about the sex discrimination in athletics, both high school and college, then you're going to do something about that billion-dollar gap in college scholarships that happens every single year. We absolutely can include transgender athletes into the girls' and women's program. We even say our policies are that if somebody's a transgender boy, or man, that as long as they don't go on those gender-affirming hormones, they are welcome into the girls and women's category. So somebody who identifies as male is still able to participate in the girls and women's category so long as they don't change their biology, right? The science of it. We want to make sure that our listeners have a chance to follow up with each of you in terms of your websites. I mean, where where can they reach you, Nancy? The one I really want you to go on is uh, the one where uh, where you can make sure that your school is not discriminating against girls and women, and that's Title IX Schools, T-I-T-L-E-I-X Schools.com, and every single college, uh, community college, um, et cetera, is all listed right there as to where the discrimination is. And then we, our other website that deals specifically with transgender athletes is um, the, uh, it's the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, womensportspolicy.org. Donna, any, anything else where they can uh, learn more about your work? Um, no, no, no. I, I, I just uh, 
I'm hoping that uh, next year's March Madness is March Madness for both men and women instead of March Misogyny. Oh. That is powerful. Any final thoughts on just your your personal leadership journey from then to now, you know, especially, you know, culminating with the work that you're doing regarding, you know, women in sports equity. You've essentially been been living it and now you are working in it. You know, what would you say about how that has shaped the woman that you are today? But that that's the whole point of sport. Everything I do today, I I practiced on the playing field. Um playing in the sandbox with others, putting teams together, um, you know, coming through under pressure, face in, welcoming pressure. And, you know, the difference between good and great is attention to detail and how hard you work. And sport teaches all those lessons to boys and girls. My parting words are not quite as great as Donna's. It is that never underestimate the power of sexism. When I was uh, going to law school back, you know, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, I um, I honestly thought that that sex discrimination in athletics would be over. I really thought like, well, I mean, I know that's what's getting me into law school, but I better find something else that I think is interesting because, um, you know, we've we've already had all these great, we've got case law, we've got regulations, we've got the statute. It's going to be done. So never underestimate the power of sexism. And, you know, as Donna and I, you know, I look at sort of the end of my career and I like the the imperative of making sure that real change happens, that the needle actually moves, becomes more and more urgent. And uh, anybody that would like to join me in champion women's journey on what it is that we're doing we do have you can sign up for our newsletters um and uh and i would love to have you along for the ride you have both been a a real source of inspiration to me i have followed both of your careers and it's fantastic really to have you with us today and thank you for being there continuing to help us power up women Thank you both for being with us, world-class athletes, champions, and advocates for equity, equality of opportunity in sports, Donna Lopiano and Nancy hogshead Makar. It's been a pleasure. We have learned a lot today. I'm Dana Harvey. And I'm Ann Doyle. for joining Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network, and rate us on iTunes or Spotify. It really helps build awareness. And we'd love to hear from you through our Power Up Women Facebook group. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.